You're looking sharp. You're looking good. You've come so far. And we know how to make the most of who you are. Father to son. It's plain to see. We give you all we have to give for all a man can be. Where the race is run, you're the champion. Gillette. The Gillette Atro Plus system with the Lubra Smooth Strip for the best a man can get. The best a man Gillette Razors may also be the best a woman or person of indeterminate gender can get. Discerning Gamer Podcast Sponsor. Welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Yes, exploiting an ethereal energy source named Mana to build a flying warship, angering the gods and bringing about a globally destructive conflict which very nearly exhausts all signs of Mana in the world. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Joel J.B. Fury Beauchene, and with us this week, as always, are the DG crew, starting with the PC gamer, the Sultan of Steam. Back in black, he'll hit the sack. He's been too long. He's <laughs> glad to be back. It's Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Welcome to the show, Fergus. Because I'm back in black. What's going on, J.B.? How are you, mate? Oh, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, welcome to the show. My uh, audition for the uh, next Akadaka. I don't reckon I could last half a song without my voice going on me. Yes, I, I think many <laughs> of us would probably uh, fit into that. Uh, that, that was category. better than Akadaka, Ferg. Wowee. Uh, That's my favourite. Also with us, the gaming chef, the Earl of Emotional Damage. He doesn't think you trust in his self-righteous suicide he cries when angels deserve to die. It's Simon Steely McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Steely. <laughs> yes. In my... Um, anyway, uh, that was just a little bit of the song. Uh, that's a two-second snippet. Shazam that. Uh, yeah, thanks for... thanks for Thank you, JB. Thanks for that. Um, I, you know what? I was that 13-year-old emo kid in my bedroom non-stop listening to mm. System of a Down. Um, it was the only hardcore outlet that I had then. Mm. Um, mm. unfortunately, just don't have the hair for it though. Mm. No, <laughs> to be emo, <laughs> couldn't sustain it for very long. Yes, that comb over is a bit difficult <laughs> when you get no hair. It's hard to do when you don't no. have any hair. Never I did have mind. hair back then, but not emo hair. It was all red. right. Let's move on. <laughs> don't like talking about my hair. <laughs> 
finally with us, uh, the Nintendo Queen, Pistol. Oh, no. Pisty. Oh, no. Pete. The Pist. <laughs> she wants your belly and that summer feeling getting washed away in you. Breathe her in, breathe her out. She doesn't know if she could ever go without. It's Casey C. Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Um, I don't know that song, so I can't sing along. Well. <laughs> do da, do da. <laughs> what is that song? Yeah, Shazam that! It sounds familiar, but I can't. That would be uh, Watermelon Sugar uh, mm, by Harry Styles. Uh, Harry Styles. Yes. Oh, uh, all natural sugars then. Well done, um, <laughs> Ferg. That uh, deserves a small round. <laughs> and uh, moving on from introductions, what have we been playing this week, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, starting with yourself, Simon Steely McLaughlin. What have you been playing? Oh, fuck me. I finished Metroid Prime. Did I say that last week? Finished it. Done. Sold. Finished. Wow. Forget about it. Never playing it again. So finished it now. Uh, mm. Very good. Um, very, very good. E- exceptional final boss. It was hard, but I defeated it after my second try because I looked up a walkthrough on how to defeat it. <laughs> so I was getting stressed out. I'm like, ah, I fucking do this! Anyway, um, but no, very good. Great game. And then, to just to... So I was going to follow it up with a straight red hot fucking banger after that. I was like, what am I going to play after this that's going to wet my s- slippery l- nipple? Um, and I... Uh, regrettably downloaded um, the Skull and Bones beta, which uh, I got a thundering big red-hot cock seven minutes into, and then I turned it off. Uh, so if mm. discerning gamers out of 10 for the open beta for Skull and Bones, don't fucking bother zero. Wow. <laughs> um, Terrible. Firing on all anyway. cylinders. Emotional damage. Fucking Ubisoft. Quadruple A, my asshole. Let me tell you that. Well, okay. Fucking asshole. Let's, uh, let's not do wow. anything to your uh, asshole, as it were. I think uh, that should stay firmly where it is. I'd uh, rather pluck the hairs out of the rim hole of my ass stop! than play the fucking game. <laughs> that is no. positively disgusting, uh, Simo. So, uh, For real. Yeah. I know. Um, well, Ferg, uh, it's probably a good jumping off point. Um, Skull and Bones, open mm. beta. Mm. What was your experience? I know that you uh, also opted to dive into this one and uh, sample the good, so to speak, for the benefit of all the listeners out there in Descending Gamer World. Ooh, um, yes. What uh, What have you got to share with us about your experience? My experience with Skull and Bones. So <clears throat> the preface on this one is I didn't play any of the other betas i really went in with not doing any research and what i was getting myself into we talked about this over the weekend and i actually forgotten prior to jumping in like it just slipped my mind that it's actually going to be an online live service game i just that escaped my mind so when i jumped into it my first impression was like oh shit that's right this is what we're dealing with so i lasted a bit longer than steely i played probably about five hours on the dot so gave it a good good enough go to get a bit of a feel for you know the game what it's like and if it's something i'm going to be into Slightly longer. and 
I was left feeling pretty underwhelmed, to be honest, hmm. um, in five hours. That's uh, unusual for a Ubisoft experience. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I didn't have super high hopes, but just the whole sort of game and the gameplay and um, how it sort of unfolded just... You know, five hours, I pretty much hit five hours about halfway through the weekend. And at that point, I was like, I've seen enough. You know, I could have kept playing for Sunday and whatever for as long as the beta was alive. But um, no, I did five and then I'm like, yeah, this is pretty much done. And probably the best way to summarize it, if you're not familiar with it and you haven't been, you know, watching any videos of the beta and stuff. um, There was a Kotaku article and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he summarized it as... um, it's basically the division. It's more of a division type game than it is a pirate simulator. And that's a pretty good take on what it is. It's very, the loop is you start in a safe zone, you go out into the world, you, you know, do different contracts, collect different resources, you come back to the safe space, you upgrade your ship, and then you go out and you're progressively taking on bigger and more ambitious things in order to get better loot. And that's basically how the game plays. So, I've got a big old A3 piece of paper where I just scribbled frantically notes that I took as I as I was playing the game. So I might just run through them in a not very coherent way. But sure, um, the tutorial essentially for the beta was you start off you're captaining a ship um, and you learn the basics, movements, how to shoot your cannons, and eventually you get surrounded by the British Navy and against impossible odds, odds you become shipwrecked. Um, and from that, you basically come to, you're washed up on a beach, um, and then you start dealing with other people that were involved in the shipwreck, and they're all very much like, oh, I can't believe the captain got us into that situation. Um, and then other people saying things to me like, oh, where were you? I bet you were like hiding in the cabin and not doing anything. And it was like, well, what's going on here? I was just captaining the boat. So was I the captain of that ship? Obviously not, but I was being the captain. So straight away, I was just like, what, what's going on here? And then after a while, you, you sort of learn that you're basically a nobody and the premise of the game is to become somebody. Um, so from there, you go through the basics of, you know, building your first ship, which involved going out and co- collecting resources. And the very first thing you have to go and collect is a type of timber. Fair enough. You get in your boat, you sail away. You see a little icon on your map, and I thought, oh, beauty, you know, this is going to be my first opportunity to get off my boat, explore an island, collect some wood, do that kind of thing. I pulled up to it, and I quickly learned that you can't get off the boat at any point unless it's, you know, one of these safe spaces. So you can't get off the boat out in the world. And the premise for collecting resources, it took me a while because I I soon worked out that the tree that I was trying to cut didn't exist because you exist in a world with all these other players who are all harvesting the same resources being, you know, an MMO type game. So that left me confused about 15 minutes why I couldn't harvest a tree because it actually wasn't there. I had to wait for it to respawn. But then to harvest the material from a tree, there's like a quick time event that you do while you're on your boat, which seems a bit silly. Collect your wood, you go back. And like I said, it's just this loop of you go out, you collect some stuff, you complete a contract, you come back and you start upgrading your boat. Um, And probably one good thing about the game, what it does well, is there's heaps of options for customization as far as your boat, you know, your play style. You know, there's things like cannons. You might want to be a, you know, a stocky boat that might be slower, but it's good in close combat, or you might be something that's a bit more agile. You've got long cannons. So there's 
I can see there's going to be some good options to sort of customize to your play style. And the actual sailing and the ship combat is actually very, very good in this game. But the actual premise of going out and just that loop just really didn't inspire me mm. too much. Um, I found it a bit dry and a bit boring. Like, what was great about Black Flag was the ship combat and being on a boat sort of broke up what's typically very good in Assassin's Creed games, which has been on land, going around, the hand-to-hand combat. You do that, then you get on your boat, you go somewhere else, you jump off and you explore the island. Whereas mm-hmm. this boat is, you are tied to your boat outside of the safe zones. And the safe zones are like pretty generic towns that have, you know, vendors and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, couldn't get off my boat, couldn't explore. There's no hand-to-hand combat. You know, even there's an option if you um, sort of start whaling on a ship to basically board them but you just get a cutscene. like you get close enough and then you see the guys throw you know their ropes or whatever to pull the other boat in then you just get oh this is the loot you've got like there's no op- there's nothing as far as jumping on there and doing some combat and stuff like that which i think would have been really really good um what else have i got to store as far as the story there isn't like a really good overarching story it's literally like oh you've just you're nobody and go out into the world and you know climb the ranks you just there's a few things going on but they're generic just sort of guys in the world that are quest givers you know this is who i am this is what i need so go and kill x amount of boats bring back some wood some other stuff and then i'll reward you by whatever um something else else like i'd played it long enough to get a couple of different boats and it was just weird like you start the game off there's two characters at the beginning that are just like following you around like they just for some reason seem to like you and be like oh we're going to be in your crew we've got nothing better to do and as you upgrade your boat you just next time you you go on the boat for the first time you new upgrade a boat and there's all these people on there Mm. like it would have been cool if they had some kind of recruitment system or you know some crew management stuff but you literally just get a better boat and all the people are there and you just sail away do we think that some of these are features that they're going to plan to add later on and they just weren't present in the open beta potentially they yeah i mean we, i'm calling it a beta but the game's out in three days i think so this is as good as the finished product huh. and how it is going to be on day one but yeah being a live surface game yeah there's going to be definitely things that they're going to add maybe based on feedback they'll remove you know tweak the game um so we're thinking at this point that the finished product is likely going to be completely fucked well, <laughs> no, having said that, I think there's going to be a lot of people that actually enjoy this game. But for mine, it it just didn't really excite me. Like, mm. I love the idea about betas sort of early on to give people an idea to play the game and give them feedback and development. But a beta that's available, what, three, four, five days before the actual game comes out should be showing me everything that the best of the game's got that makes me want to go... Fuck yeah, I'm going to go buy that game. Mm. And literally, Is that the five. unusual to have a beta so uh, early you, before you, release? Is that unusual? It can usually be like a, a server test and just what, for that, people what, to that, all get on and, and play the game. And, what, a few and... days before release? Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. I, I'm just used to um, sort of seeing betas like ages in a. Yeah, release. I wouldn't say it's common practice for every single game, but there's definitely games yeah. that have done it in the past. Okay. Like I think of Diablo 4 last year that had a beta and I played okay. that and I was like, I've got to buy this game in the past. I, I think I've talked about in the show before. I remember when Mass Effect Andromeda came out, they had a period where you could play, I don't know, 20 hours or something. For, oh, no, it wouldn't have been that much. You could play a certain amount of time 
for free. And then beyond that, you can make a decision if you wanted to play the game. And I think that was leading up to the release of the game. So, yeah, different games do it. But well, you're, what you're saying is Ubisoft needs to have that time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like what I saw in five hours in the beta wasn't enough to, you know, be like, yeah, I really need to play this game. I sort of saw it and I'm like, oh, I've seen it before and it's not great. Like, you know, some other stuff like there's there's cutscenes and your player doesn't talk at all. So you forever get into a cutscene and there's one person talking and then you have to select, you know, a response. And we've talked about this show before. I remember we did a novelty segment when we talked about pet peeves. And there were so many times where you'd be talking to someone and they would say something and then your response would be one or two things, but they wouldn't actually... And I never felt like they actually changed the outcome of the conversation. So, for example, like the first time I talked to the blacksmith guy my options to talk to him was like, I'll pay any price to arm my vessel or your cannons better be worth my time. And regardless of what you press, old mate was going to say something very similar. And it's just filler. Like, it's just crap. Yeah. It doesn't really add anything. And when your players mute, it doesn't speak at all. It just seemed really quite silly. And, it, you know, I was, I was a little bit off the back of, what was it, the day before? I can't remember whether they came out and said it or it just was exposed in a leak where they, you know, were talking about using AI to generate conversation and stuff. Some of the dialogue in what I saw in the beta was just so cheesy. Like, it was horrifically bad. Like, mm. you know, just... Excessively generic? Pretty much. It's just like, is, is this the best we could come up with? And I'm looking at them like, this would be a classic example of an AI program just running generic, you know, your scurvy sea dog. Just stuff that just didn't add anything to the experience um so i just think overall it just didn't really grab me but i think some people will really enjoy that loop of games such as the division um and just you know just dumping hours into getting a better boat and decking it out and doing different things but for me i played it and i was just like this just wasn't that great like it just didn't really inspire me to be like yeah i really want to go and play more of this game or see it see more of it what it really made me do was want to go and play sea of thieves because i think sea of thieves is closer to the pirate experience that i'd want that i enjoy in a game like you know cruising around on your boat getting off on an island going exploring it doing different things um, unfortunately, I went to play Sea of Thieves and their servers were down, so <laughs> that was no good. Um, hmm. But, you know, it's not all negative. Some of the things I liked was, like I said, the the combat, the ship combat's really, really good. It's really, really fun. Um, they got the she- sea shanties back, Ooh, which is on. fantastic. If you are familiar with... <laughs> Black flag. <laughs> sailing around to the sound of... That was, of course, the theme to Monkey, Monkey Island, Island. Uh, also set in the Caribbean. But uh... I think, and the other thing, just quickly, I, the other thing I did enjoy was there's a few little things like crews calling out boats on the horizon, being like, oh, look over there, there's such and such ship, and then you get your binoculars out. And some of that kind of stuff was kind of good. I think this would be a game that you'd probably have considerably more fun if you were playing with others, mm. getting a few guys together and, you know, heading off in your boat and taking off 
taking down, you know, larger vessels and stuff like that. But as a single player experience, it it didn't really wow me. I just thought it was a little bit underwhelming in five hours. So okay, um, a little bit disappointing. But having said that, that's just my opinion. I was, you know, looking around. You know, you play five hours and you go, well, what are the critics saying? And a lot of people are saying, yeah, not that great. But other people are saying, yeah, quite good. And there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I love the beta. I can't wait to play the game. So, mm. again, I just... It was just a miss for me, but I think there are people that are going to enjoy this game, but in the state that it is now, and being a live service game, you know, is there enough in it to want to just, you know, pull me in and keep me coming back like week after week I after don't week think... after week? And for me, not really, but for, for others, possibly. Well, I, I do wonder, like, if um, if it's a live service game... Um, it's only a matter of time before they drop the price um, either to free or mm. you know close enough to it. Um, I would probably suggest that it would be better value at a, either a free price or a much lower price than, than where it's at currently because mm. I sort of made that mistake. Um, I'm a big Star Trek fan from way back when and when Star Trek Online first launched, it was a $90 or $100 game, and um, this was was a live service type game. You had to pay your own money to buy in-game currency to to you know sort of get further ahead. Like you could you could grind away inside the game and try to you know collect loot and defeat enemies to get stuff and all of that, but. Um, man, it was a grind, and you had to pay like a monthly subscription just to mm. be part of it. Um, so yeah, it wasn't long before I quickly yeah, knocked that one on the head because uh, it just wasn't um, value for money there. Mm. So uh, yeah, I'm sort of wondering whether this Skull and Bones situation might be might be similar. Mm. I think I, I think, think twenty. You sorry go, to you interject. Go, I think 2024 is going to be the year of starting and dying live services at just so quickly. I you, I think, you know, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is not going to live beyond 2024. I firmly believe that. I could be wrong, and I might be wrong, but I don't think it will. I just don't think it's going to have the legs and enough of a player base to keep it afloat. And I think that this is going to fall into that category as well, unless you're just a Ubisoft fuckboy and you really want to play a, another Ubisoft game. Like in my mind, in that I can see all of the the positives that Ferg is drawing from the game, even though I only played five minutes of it. And my conclusion I came to is a lot faster, but I can see how you know it might be fun to go out on the sea. Um, I found the sharks to be. Just incredibly <laughs> rude. Um, they were just coming up and fucking trying to bite me from halfway across the ocean. I mean, it's like what? It's just, just for. And but you know, the sharks just felt like guards in Assassin's Creed that noticed I was there. The same little yellow bar fills up. It goes red. They come after you. Chomp, chomp, chomp. You throw a fucking steak at it. They get upset. They swim away. And I just kind of. I don't think that there's much in that to get me to go, wow, I really want to keep playing this. And unlike you, Ferg, in the first couple of minutes when you were on that big ship and you're shooting all the other ships, I was just, I felt like it was incredibly clunky um, and slow. 
you know, I get that, you know, you're watching the little people put the fucking cannonballs in and everything like that, but in Sea of Thieves, you do that manually. You hopped, mm. you're in your ship, you're getting cannonballs out. The frantic and fun of Sea of Thieves comes from doing all of those things all at once in real time, trying to defeat other boats and having to patch up your ship at the same time and having to communicate with others while hearing the other people on the other boat shit talk you. There Mm. is a certain amount of charm that comes with that that I just didn't get in this game whatsoever from the start of it, just pressing R2 repetitively and, you know, putting my sails up and pressing X and having, you know, what's felt like to me, you know, at least a 10-second input lag from me pressing X to the sail coming down and going. I don't know if that's intentional in the game or not and if you felt the same thing, but I just felt like everything was very slow and frustrating Mm. and... I think it's just indicative of what this product and what this game is a sign of, and which is a deal between Ubisoft and the Singaporean fucking government. It's not even a, a game that's being made out of a labor of love for pirate simulation. It's like, oh, well, we have to finish it. How long has it been stuck in, in development just for this very underwhelming experience to come to light? And I just think... I played it for the sake of going into it with an open mind and going, you know what, I'm going to try and enjoy this, just see if I like it, and still hated it. And regardless of whether or not it was a Ubisoft game, I'd still fucking hate it because it's not made with the purpose of any enjoyment. It's made for the purpose of trying to make money. And it's kind of evident, you know, like especially with it being a live service and the one compliment that you gave it, which was about the customization. That's where a lot of these fucking live services make their money. And I just don't think it's, yeah, it's, it just reeks of, of, you know, give me money so you can put a f- purple hat on your fucking cock. And I just don't want that. I don't <laughs> want to play that. It doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. I think that is where the biggest probably issue with the game is being live, live service. You- a lot of the cutscenes and people talking, they're like, we're pirates. We do what we want. We, you know, we take from whoever we want. That in itself would be a fantastic game if you had a, say, a Red Dead Redemption 2 type game, but you were a pirate where you could just go and do whatever you want. Like, you go to the safe zone and you can't do anything. Like, there's people in there that are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to gut you. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, I'd, I'd like the experience. <laughs> it's like you're in the safe zone and you're Fuck an NPC and I can't kill you. <laughs> Because that'll break the whole game because I can't kill NPC guys off because the next dude in this live service game wants to talk to you. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine? I just just think it'd be so good to just live in a lawless, lawless, lawless pirate type game where you could go and choose and be whatever pirate you want. But you can't do that in a live service game. You can't just kill everyone because those people need to be around to give the next player... A quest or whatever so it's just you yeah and it and the other thing as well like running around just felt so clunky like if you've ever played an mmo you don't run the same <laughs> as what you run in like a typical single player game it all feels a bit like janky and and stuff like that so that motherfucker swings his arms like six times before he actually starts stepping yeah <laughs> do you notice that yeah just, oh, I'm going to run. Oh, now I'm going to move. All the stuff on land was very, very clunky. The ship stuff I thought was actually quite good, but anything when you're not on the boat in the, in the small, tiny pockets of the whole world that you can actually get off your boat, it just it all seems a bit clunky. But 
I don't know. I I saw plenty of people saying that they really enjoyed it. So I don't think it's going to, you know, be in line with my bold prediction of 2024 where it's going to be an unbelievably reviewed score. I can't remember what I said, like a well-received score. But I think there's going to be plenty of people that will like this game, but it just not, not for me. Mm. Well, further to what you were saying earlier, Steely, about uh, the game feeling very similar to uh, other titles where, you know, the shark goes to attack you and then all of a sudden it has the health bar and everything. Um, I thought it might be interesting to see what game engine they've actually used for Skull and Bones and they've used the Ubisoft Anvil engine, um, which it also shares with Assassin's Creed Mirage, Immortals Phoenix Rising and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So... Uh, same game engine for all of those titles and soon to be used on the Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time remake. Um, so, mm. yeah. Uh, would it have been a more enjoyable experience on, uh, you know, a, a different gaming engine, I wonder? Um, is is the gaming engine that Ubisoft use uh, perhaps a bit dated? Uh, I don't know. I think it's just... I think it's the the live MMO thing. I don't know. What it, well, I don't know what it is about these games, but a lot of them just handle a bit differently and a bit clunky, so I'm not sure what that's about. Um, mm. Don't know. Yeah. It just feels a bit disjointed and probably more so than Assassin's Creed games I've played of late. Not Valhalla, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where it goes and what the future looks like this for this game. And, yeah, I'm really interested to see what the critics think, so... Are there any MMO live service titles that you would hold in really high regard compared to this this particular title? Like, are there any that have really sort of scratched that itch uh, for you that uh, you know that you've just thought, "Yeah, this this game's amazing. I want to keep going back to this this world." Um, yeah, there's a couple that spring to mind. One that's going to come up a bit later in the conversation in our novelty segment is the mm. first one that comes to mind. Okay. Um, but there has been few over the years, but again, like most things, I generally, you know, strangle something to death for a certain amount of time and then I just lose complete interest. So, mm. um, yeah, I'll speak about the one I'm thinking of a little bit later. Sure. Maybe. What about you, Steely? Uh, any MMO, RPG or... Or just any sort of live service game that really resonates with you? Not really. I'm because I'm more of like I, I, I much more enjoy narrative gameplay or a, a good story attached to an open world experience. Um, and I like the stories where they're tailored to characters that have actually been created for that story versus me being blank person who goes out into the world and and just does blank amount of things for blank overarching story which really has nothing to do with my character so i mean i'm not mmos just don't really interest me in that way because to me they feel kind of empty i feel like they're a bit soulless um it's just kind of like go and do this repetitive task over and over and over again and you know make the most of it you know Mm. well done you're now level 100 and you can go to your mate who hasn't had sex before and tell him that you know because he's been doing this since he was 12 and and now he's 25 and hasn't left the house yet because Mm. he's been playing fucking wow for 600 years and that's a bad timeline that doesn't even make sense but you know what i mean i just i don't think that there is 
that much to garner from these games other than if you have an addictive nature and addictive personality to continue to play them over and over and over again. Um, but having said that, the, the the first things that come to mind as like really successful MMOs is, is World of Warcraft. I think maybe because it does have a much more you know in-depth world, but having said that, you have to subscribe to that game permanently if you want to play it and continue on with it. And so... That doesn't interest me either because I'm not a big subscription dude. I, I would never do it if it wasn't an option, you know. I'd just do what I want to do. Mm. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just not not for me I at would all. throw the, the net out a little bit wider than just MMO, RPGs. Uh, like, if we consider the live service arena in, in total and, um, you know, I, I'll throw this one out there because I, I, I'd never really been a big player of Fortnite but my my eldest daughter, who's who's now ten years old, uh, she came home one day and she said to me, "Dad, all the boys at school are talking about Fortnite, and they're talking about all these things that go on in Fortnite, and they make fun of us girls because we don't know what they're talking about. Um, can I have a go at Fortnite and and try it out so that I can sort of understand what it, what the go is?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." So we loaded it up on the uh, PS Five, and um, like, like I said, I I maybe had a five-minute shot at Fortnite a few years back and thought, oh, yeah, it's all right. Didn't really resonate with me, so I didn't really do much with it. But um, she loaded it up the other day and we were having a go at the uh, prop hunt mode where basically the premise is it's, it's like a game of hide-and-seek mm. where there's a team of people that go and hide in a building like the one that we were playing was like a supermarket and the supermarket's full of all random items everywhere and you can walk up to any item and shoot it with your ray gun and you sort of transform into that item and, and then you got to try and blend in with the background. And <laughs> the Seekers come in uh, after a time delay and then they go around with their shotguns and they go around shooting the different props, trying to find the people who are disguised. And I have to say, like, the people over there at Epic Games really know what they're doing because that was, that was really fun. And, like, I wasn't so much big on the Battle Royale mode of Fortnite, but that prop hunt mode, that is that is really, really fun. And, and you know, pretty child-friendly as well, uh, might I add. Like, I mean, you are shooting props and that with, with shotguns, but it's not overly gory or bloody and all, all that sort of thing. So uh, still, still pretty kid-friendly. But um, I think Epic Games, and, and especially off the back of the, the big partnership that they've just announced with Disney where they're going to be bringing in all the Disney IPs like your Star Wars and Marvel and um, all of those really big Disney properties, um, Fortnite's going to be one to keep your eye on, I think, because, um, yeah, like I said, Epic Games just... They, they really have a good formula going there and I think they just know how to do it right every everything else in the live service field or the the live service genre really should be measuring themselves up to the the standard set by Fortnite. I think the great thing about Fortnite is it's so heavily event based. There's always something different happening in the game and I remember when we were heavily playing it and streaming it all the time as well um when we were doing Adelaide Gaming Buddy all the time um when you're playing the game and there's all these different in-game events happening, it's kind of mysterious. You didn't really know what was happening all the time. It gives it, 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 like you said, it gives a bit of a narrative to something that's 
there was relatively odd, boring. Yeah, oddly, a kind of like a story within it that you would sort of follow and speculate on. And what I think Fortnite continues to do well is that it has so much variety attached to it. Now that they've opened up virtually Unreal Engine 5 to the creators or the players to create more worlds within and more game modes within Fortnite, it has just expanded that as a... I guess beyond a you know battle royale experience, but it always kind of set itself apart from what came out at the time. You know, from PUBG, PUBG. Um, which you know kind of ties into our novelty segment in 2017 when that game came out, and it always separated itself from that game as being more colourful with uh, with the building element in it, which kind of made it kind of similar to I don't know Minecraft in a weird way, and there was always something interesting going on. And I think that... Um, I second you, JB. I think that that uh, Epic Games have done a remarkable job at keeping this relevant for such a long period of time and just always knowing when to push the right buttons and make the right deals and the right calls and put the right IP into the game to support, you know, other things happening, putting concerts within the game and weird stuff like that. I mean... It's not something that's entirely for me, and it's not something that I follow much anymore. You know, I just like going in and hopping in and gunning up some people in no build mode and hiding in a bush for fun sometimes um, <laughs> now because I, I, the building aspect of it is just too much for me to want to bother with. But um, for some reason, they just they know what to do, and it, it has always been engaging, and it's always something that you can jump in and keep playing and still have moderate fun with regardless of how much you follow it throughout and pay for things throughout. We pay at the start when we downloaded it because it was free and it was in early access, we at one point because we were like, "Oh, we're playing this a lot." We started getting battle passes, but and then what we would do is we I think we ended up buying maybe two battle passes, which was the cost of like about 30 bucks or something, and we kept using all the battle stars we got to just replenish another battle pass. So as long as we kept playing, we were getting sort of battle passes for free. Um, mm. And that's the way that we kind of went about it, and that's why it wasn't too much money. It didn't cost too much. Um, but having said that, th- th- their service method is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, not something I would get back into, but really, really good. Yeah, mm. I've definitely lumped a few hours into Fortnite over the years. And, mm. yeah, and I know... Going back on the MMOs, I mean, as someone who's played a shit ton of WoW and a shit ton of Guild Wars, basically dabbled in every MMO that's come out in the last 15 years, it's very much more than just the games which suck and hold players in. It's the community, and like Steely says, it's the community events, things that keep it refreshing and engaging for long periods of time, which, you know, keep people paying monthly subscriptions and paying for battle passes and stuff like that. And to come full circle back on... Skull and Bones, again, I think the fun is had when you're playing with other... The fun will be had when you're playing with other people. And as a live service game, that'll be the test for them to get enough interesting content that'll keep people around for a long period of time. Because once upon a time, there was only, say, half a dozen live service games. Now there's so many, and they're all competing for each other's dollars and and your time. So to separate yourself against the Fortnites of the world and the Apex Legends and all these sorts of games, you have to be offering something that's pretty captivating. And, mm. you know, that's where I think Skull and Bones are going to struggle. You know, the latest, um, what's it called? Justice League. It's where these games are 
you know, probably going to struggle because you have to hold people in above a lot of those things. Like, not everyone's got the time and or money to be playing multiple live service games at the same time. Mm. So, mm. well said. Mm. All right. Well, that's probably a good uh, place to jump into this week's news headlines. Uh, I would say. What do you reckon? Oh, yeah. Okay, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Woohoo! The Time... I don't know why I did that. What was that? Uh, anyway, um, The Time has doth cometh for the biggest company in the world to front and tell its bitches what's in the box today. That's street talk for Xbox will be holding a presentation this week about the future of the platform, which feels more like a medical diagnosis for erectile dysfunction with crippling micropenis syndrome more than anything. But no, really, wow. whether or not you want them to... Emotional damage! Whether or not you want them to keep trying or to just give in to the more successful machines, all will be revealed sometime this week in a podcast, of all things. Yeah, that's right, in a podcast. Um, uh, I, uh, I actually hacked Phil Spencer's DMs. Three, two, uh, and- <laughs> I, I hacked Phil Spencer's DMs this week, and he had this to say to his cousin, Graham. Uh, are we good for the barbecue on this Saturday? Don't bring your wife. Last time she was here, she got so smashed smashed she shit in my nightstand. I mean, I get I run Xbox, but my 16-year-old Hennessy is for when they finally shut down Xbox, and I can feel my lifelong dream of running a successful hardware and software company. Wow, he must be really close to his cousin Graham. Really close. Mm, so, wow. There we go. The little bit of Phil Spencer's inner workings there. I'm going to come. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, hey, look, Ferg told me this week there are rumours floating about of Pokemon Gold and Silver remakes roaming around this week. I can't find them. So uh, here's what I found a bunch of uh, I got my other industry. <laughs> I found a bunch of other industry insiders who say this week's Nintendo Direct will be a partner showcase and will effectively be the last Nintendo Direct we get for Nintendo Switch before the reveal of Switch 2 in March. Furthermore, insiders are being led to believe this next system will not have any Joy-Cons. Uh, it will be backwards compatible and will contain enhancements for games for the original Nintendo Switch. Dale from down the road told me this week to, and I quote, Get off my fucking lawn, you fat piece of shit. My kids don't want to talk to you about Nintendo. Okay, so I won't be going to Dale's place to talk to his 10-year-old son, Glenn, from now on. Okay, point taken. <laughs> so, there we go. Um... <laughs> Is that, the, is that it? That, no, that's, oh. that was all I had to say. He, that. Oh, you're waiting for a <laughs> laugh. <laughs> no, it's just felt really bad that Dale got so offended. Uh, anyway, speaking of Glenn, do you like Disney? We've already talked about this. Um, I mean the old Disney. I did. I don't care much for Disney right now. Deadpool 3 trailer looks good, but hey, they have lots of money and just brought a, bought a $1.5 million stake in Epic Games and will be Billy. joining the Fortnite ecosystem yeah. with a new... Huh? It was uh, billion, billion, mate. I said billion, didn't I? No. Did I say million? You Maximilian said fucking million gladiator. dollars. Fucking hell. <laughs> Somebody put a bullet in me. Uh, anyway, uh, joining the Fortnite ecosystem with... Uh, ah! <laughs> <laughs> 
my leg! <laughs> uh, with a new universe where people can buy stuff, create stuff, and play stuff, all with assets from their favourite Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and apparently because so many people give a blue fuck about James, Cam- James Cameron's Avatar, Avatar will be there too. I reached out to Bob Iger about the big purchase, and he had this to say. I was all like, who doesn't want to see Lilo and Stitch running around in Fortnite skull-fucking each other with golden ARs and drinking chug jugs? Also, I was all like, does Epic Games take Amex? Lol, I'm rich. Also, China. Wow. Humble, Bob. Real humble. Um, That's a bit happening from Disney over there. Anyway. These jokes are good tonight. Whoever wrote these. Uh, (laughs) It's official! The DS is no longer king. After a really long time at the top, DS has now been sw- has now switched places um, uh, <laughs> with the Nintendo Switch and has now surpassed thirty three point three four million dollars. Li- oh, sorry, million lifetime sales in Japan, not dollars. That's and that's million. Um, what are you talking about units. the DS? The DS used oh. to be the best sell- best the most units sold in Japan consoles. And now it's the Switch. When we asked Nintendo how they felt about their new milestone, they sent us a link to the S Club 7 song, Bring It All Back, leaving a quote from the song that read, Don't stop, never give up, hold your head high and reach the top. Let the world see what you have got. Bring it all back to you. Open parentheses. Bring it all back now. Close parentheses. Okay. No worries. Um, These these comments are very in-depth. That's just I'm trying to I'm getting all my information from the dark web now. <laughs> it's it's working. Mm. Uh, oh man! I wish I had friends that would play Helldivers two with me because it's just become Sony and PlayStation's biggest PC launch ever, seeing double the peak player count of God of War at one hundred and fifty five thousand nine hundred and twenty six to God of War's seventy three thousand five hundred and twenty nine. If you're a maths nerd or like Ferg, who just uh, is overall a smart guy, who would have shortened the shit out of this story just by saying you beat God of War by a factor of two. Um, So a factor of two, everyone. Who says that? Anyway, uh, I'm not a maths nerd or an overall smart guy, so instead I'm going to say this in the voice of Christopher Walken doing his version of uh, Kratos. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Uh, A boy... (laughs) Oh, that's it. Oh, okay. That's it. Well. <laughs> and that's the news for this week. Sorry, um, that was uh, fan- that was fantastic, Steely. Yeah. I can do more. Yeah, do do a tiny bit more. Okay. Um. Uh, I'm gonna fuck up Odin. Uh, don't come near my son. He never said that, but. Atreus, <laughs> uh, what are you doing? Don't talk to this Odin guy. I got bad feeling about this. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't go to Asgard unless I come with you. <laughs> Freya, I'm sorry I killed your son. He was trying to fucking kill you. <laughs> All right? Spoiler alert. <laughs> well done. Right. Yeah, I haven't played it by now. It's too bad, I can't help you. We still haven't heard uh, C-Mac. Uh, throw out an impression. Is it? Is there literally anything? Oh, the baby's crying. I'm gonna cry. Oh, <laughs> I'm actually baby being serious. Baby. No. Um. Yeah. Is there any character Christopher. at all? Any actor, actress you can do an impression of? 
Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> Come on, you give us, well, who, who give, us give us your Christopher Walking does Vin Diesel. I can't do what <laughs> Peter Griffin. <laughs> I think you want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Fast and the Furious, Lois. <laughs> It's all right. Don't feel are. bad. I, Come on. I, the one that I can do is pretty much just the pedophile from uh, Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a good one. Mr. Herbert. So, uh, what you doing there, Trace? Yeah, you do it very well. <laughs> hey, Trace, you want to take your shirt off for me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's Come it. Come on, nice. wife. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. That's it. <laughs> that was Emma Watson done. Perfect. And I actually Boom. have to go to the baby. So. That was so great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. What about you, Phil? Have you got any uh, any impressions in the <laughs> nah, bank there? Not on the spot, I don't think. I'll Come have to on, get back Phil, to you on you got that some one. Great ones. I'll have to go and work on some during the week. No, nah, nothing that comes oh, to my head. Ones. Mm. I know you got some good ones. Anyway. Well, uh, stealing. Did I play I, the uh, fanfare to take us out of the uh, news? You headlines? didn't, so you better do that. Okay. Well, sorry. News. I've made a lot of jokes this week. None of them landed, and I don't give a fuck because I'm a big, bald, fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna come. <laughs> mm. Come on, well, some of them. Some of them were funny though, right? Yeah, I like the switch one. Thanks, mate. That was uh, fantastic, uh, stealing. Well done, mate. That, no, well, I know that it wasn't because you guys. Are... <laughs> <laughs> I wrote them last night before bed with one eye open. Mm. So yes, I knew the, they weren't going to be good. The eye wasn't of your my penis. best work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, just before we move on, um, Power World. Uh, mm. It's obviously getting a lot of um, interest. It's generating a lot of controversy uh, equally in terms of uh, what people believe to be them infringing on the copyright of Pokemon and, and Nintendo in general. Um, however, like, uh, I'm still not hearing anything sort of immediately about any sort of lawsuits coming their way. Um, and I can tell you what, there's there's a lot of uh, sort of jokes and a lot of things flying around on TikTok comparing Power World with Pokemon and um, just certain certain things that you can do in Power World that seem to give you a much greater degree of freedom than what you get in any of the Pokemon games, like the ability to capture a human being in a uh, Power mm. Sphere uh, and then once you've captured them, take them back to your base and... Uh, basically unleash them there like you can capture merchants and rather than having to go to them you just bring it back to your base and release them in your base and then you can buy and sell your shit right there in your base it's mm. very convenient mm. um, there's been some people that have made some pretty incredible structures too within Power World like uh, there's one person that has created a thousand hour city so, like, a central city with a bunch of houses sort of scattered around it, like, expanding outwards from the centre. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely look it up online and check it out because mm. it's it's pretty incredible that someone's gone to that level of trouble. Mm. 
Um, but uh, yeah, you still uh, enjoying Power World, Fergie? You still still uh... absolutely, yeah, still having a good time. I've, I think I was saying I've started on my second base. I think I played thirty something hours, so put a good chunk of time into it. Um, so I reckon I'll play it long enough to maybe hit the level cap, which I think at the moment is fifty. Yeah, that's correct. So I think by the time I get to level fifty, I've probably unlocked all the technology and. And whatever, and probably at that point, I'll probably think about parking it. Um, but I'm enjoying it enough, and I was thinking about this, I don't know, the other day. There hasn't been too many games which I've... Well, there's been a few, but there's not been heaps of games that I've played and jumped in at early access when the game has first come out and been interested enough to just see the progression and stay with it every time they sort of update it over the years. So mm. that's what I'm sort of excited about is to be here on day one, really enjoying the game and feel invested enough that, you know, if I get to level 50, I'll come back once there's more content and just continually see where they take the game. So I think that's um, probably a good indication of how much I'm enjoying the game is that, yeah, I'm excited for the future Mm. um, and see what happens. But yeah, having a lot of fun. Like I said in previous episodes, it, it feels like everything I wish that a Pokemon game would be like moving forward. Um, and it'll be interesting with the whole lawsuit thing. I at this point, I think I'm would be surprised if the Pokemon Company actually did anything. I I don't know how strong of a case they've got for being able to take. Um, and I've already forgotten who the developer's name is, and said you stole this from us, and being able to prove that. Um, and I also think from a publicity point of view, I don't think they're going to win any brownie points by trying to take down something that's been as successful as Power World. I think there'd be a lot of backlash, um, even from potentially the Pokemon fans that, you know, Pokemon Company would go after Power World. So, I don't know. I, I'd i I'd kind of be surprised if there's a big lawsuit brewing is how I sort of feel about it, but you, you never know. Mm. You know, granted there are things which are similar, um, but as I pointed out previously, there's plenty of things that are similar to other games, so... Yeah, I don't know. And you think if it was going to be a really big issue, you know, we've been hearing about this game for quite a bit of time that you think they might have looked into it earlier before the game was actually released. I have no idea. But Yeah, I'm you know, with you on that. I don't really know how it works from, you know, a legal point of view. And and you'd think, um, you know, the Powell and the developers and the publishers would know that there was some comparisons coming and that they would do their due diligence to be like, are we gonna? What happens if we get sued by the Pokemon Company? Like, what what's going to happen if we got an argument? Are we going to you know get in trouble? What would it might might mean if we get sued? Are we going to have to shut down? Or, you know, you think they'd be a bit risk averse on something like that? So, I don't know. I say play on, JB. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Well, uh, it's probably brings us to a good place to start our novelty segment uh, for the week. So here we go. Fuck yeah. I know what boys like. And this week we thought we'd take a step back in time to the year 2017 and ask the question, what was your favourite game from 2017? It was a bit of a bumpy year in gaming. Uh, 2017 uh, saw the release of many, many titles that were were quite significant. 
Um, not to mention uh, the release of uh, some some pretty significant gaming systems as well. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to throw over to you, Simon Steely McLaughlin, for your favourite game of 2017. Oh, and you know what? There are just so many. I'm just peering through the list just to see because I'm getting some honourable mentions together. Um, and it is... It's insane. People bang on about how, oh, 2023 was such a great year in gaming. Um, I think 2023 pales in comparison mm. to what we got um, in 2017. Just a monumental year. Jam-packed from start to finish. Obviously, yes, we did have the launch of the Nintendo Switch in uh, 2017. And by golly, did it come with a fistful of great first-party titles all within its first year um, on, on on the scene. Uh, but my biggest pick, and it's probably because to this day it's my most played game, and this is on the Nintendo Switch, um, and it's also on PS4. Uh, and fun fact, Casey and I played this game in a gaming bar on a PS4 in Japan, mm-hmm. and just because we love it so much. And it's Puyo Puyo Tetris from none other than Sega Savvy Group. So so talk us through Puyo Puyo Tetris. Uh, I mean, yes, I've played it too. I own it on Nintendo Switch. But for any of the listeners out there who may not have played it, what is the premise to this title? So Puyo Puyo Tetris is like seeing two friends in, like, in, a, in a pub um, and you're like, oh, that'd make a great couple. And you look at them and you go, oh, I really hope they fuck and they just get together. Wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they do. And and when they do, it's like you've created a monster. It's an amalgamation. You know, all the best parts of both of them are accentuated. Um, you're hearing all about their, their time fucking each other, you know, because they come and talk to you about it in their lunch breaks and stuff like that, just because they're talking about, oh, it's so good. And um, and then you're like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. And then one of them sends you a video of them doing it, and you're like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Um, and But that's pretty much what Puyo Puyo Tetris is like. It's two in- incredible and incredibly different puzzle games, obviously Tetris being the behemoth that it is, mixed with Puyo Puyo, something that... Typically, it was big in Japan, right? Um, Joel and I used to play Puyo Puyo uh, when I was growing up, and uh, we would play Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, which is basically Puyo Puyo with a Sonic overlay. And, I mean, that I I remember thinking, this is the the nips tits, whatever that means, and uh, <laughs> back then, and... Always kind of wanting to play it whenever I saw it pop up again, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. And then when I found out that it was just Puyo Puyo and I saw this game was coming, I was like, oh, this sounds wild. I have to play this. And Casey and I downloaded it because I said to her, oh, I really love Puyo Puyo. We should get this because it looks really fun. It blends the two together. And um, there's a handful of great sort of party modes within it, which some of them are, you know, designed to just kind of things constantly change all the time and yada, yada, yada. There's all sorts of different stuff that happens and it's lots of screaming anime characters like, wow, I can't believe you just pooed on me and stuff like that. 
Oh, they don't say that, but you know that's pretty mm. much what they do say. Uh, well, I just shit myself. Um, and then there's one mode, and the only mode. Yeah, great. <laughs> see, I'm just a I'm a pot of com- comedy gold tonight. Uh, there's one mode that Casey and I only play now, um, and have played without fail. I mean, we finished the story mode, and that was regrettably the worst decision of my life because uh, it's shit. Uh, but we play swap, which is basically like getting the best of both worlds. You play Tetris for a little bit, you're, you're banging down fucking tetronomes, whatever they're called, and uh, and then you've got to basically line up your best moves on Tetris so when it swaps over to Puyo Puyo that some of the combos carry over and you get swap combos and then you know you get to play Puyo Puyo for a bit and it constantly keeps you on your toes and... I think that that is just weirdly the most satisfying thing about this game is the fact that you can take these two great puzzle games and it challenges you to constantly think of what's happening on your other board. You have two opportunities to really get rid of the other player and it's just there's nothing quite like it that has sustained us for such a long period of time. We were playing online for ages as well, just frothing over it. And still to this day... We, like, we've taken it on holiday with us, you know, and we'll go and play it on holiday. Like I said, we played it in Japan in a gaming bar. We could have played fucking anything we want. And we're like, let's play Puyo Puyo on PS4. Because mm. well, why not? And um, Or PS3. I can't even remember. I think we played it on PS3 then. And um, there's just something about it. It keeps you coming back because it's so accessible and fun to just pick up and play. You can play up to four players um, if you want to uh, get beaten by me. Love playing up to four players because there's four people I can really just fuck up. And um, but yeah, that's got to be my bit. My pick for 2017 is Puyo Puyo Tetris. Just an absolute yeah. Casey just came in from feeding the baby, and she's just I reckon just she's had a bit of a um, if you know what I mean. Uh, in she just let out a little ha oh, because it's yeah it's fire it's dynamite. No, that was mine. Uh, was that yours? Yeah, I've written it down. No way. <laughs> That's just... Uh, we're married. How? Wow. Um, anyway, you should have heard the analogy that I said about it at the start. I bet you didn't say that in your notes. Um, I just came up with it off the top of my head. Uh, oh, nothing. You can listen to it later. You will be very upset with me. Oh. Honourable mentions. Mm, give it to us. Persona 5. Mm-hmm. 2017, Persona 5. Need I say more? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Breath of the Wild, Mario Odyssey, I've already said that. Snipperclips was a really fucking cool game. Uh, came out on the Switch uh, when it first fucking launched. Uh, it was a download-only title, and it's a fun little puzzle game where you have to cut each other out to fit into certain puzzle pieces, and it was just an absolute mind boggle. Very good fun. Crash Insane Trilogy, mm-hmm. and arguably one of the best remakes, remasters of all time. It was fantastic. Really got me into Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> fuck me, fuck wow. Overcooked, everyone. Mm. Overcooked. What a game. Gives me PTSD now of the cooking industry. Oh, it's industry. overcooked in 2017. 2017. Lick that before you slip it. You're just na- naming Sonic fun Mania. Games. I thought it was the most favourite game. Mm. Sonic Mania, the best 2D Sonic game to date. Mario plus Rabbids. Mario Stop, you're not XCOM. leaving you're not leaving any for the rest of us. But none of you 
you going to say any of these? Because half of them are on Nintendo. And I already know that Joel is not going to say it, and nor is Ferg, because mm. Ferg would rather talk about how he played Halo Infinite that year, or <laughs> that didn't come out that year. Whatever he's going to talk about. D- I, I know what he's talking about, but I'm not going to spoil it. So, um, but anyway, uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris, an absolute riot, and I urge everyone to play it. 2017, best year in gaming. Okay, well, thank you, Steely. Uh, Ferg, over to you. What, what, what was your favourite game of 2017? Um, so I've got two. The first one that I'm going to tell everyone about is the game that I played the most hours with. So that is no other than Destiny 2. Fun fact, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but my very first PlayStation console was a PS4 Pro and it was a Arctic White Destiny 2 release console. So I bought the console and pre-ordered it and at the same day that it came out, there was a Destiny 2 bundle, which was the... I don't know, the real Flash one came with a few bits and pieces as well as the expansion pack. So 2017, I played a shit ton of Destiny 2. And as far as, you know, first-person shooters, you know, Bungie are arguably the best studio to ever do it. And just such a fantastic game. Lots of different modes. The PvP was actually really, really good in Destiny 2, which which I loved. Um, at that time, I worked with a whole stack of guys that were all playing Destiny. So, you know, we'd regularly have nights during the week where we'd catch up and do raids and stuff like that. So it was just a great game to get in at the beginning when, you know, everyone was excited about it. Um, And I fired up my PlayStation the other day and I reckon I played, I think it was 200 and something hours and they all would have majority been in 2017 and 2018. So I got to give huge kudos to Destiny 2 back in 2017 when it first came out. Absolutely loved that game um, and spent a lot of time playing it. Now, the other game that I want to mention is a game that came out in 2017, obviously, but a game that I didn't play until the 25th of November, 2023. And this game was such an experience which really blew my mind, which I just can't go past without talking about. And this game is none other than a little indie game called What Remains of Edith Finch. Which... I can't remember what happened. I think I had a day off last year. I think I might have been sick. And I knew this game had been sitting in my Steam library for, a, I think I probably bought it a couple of years ago when it was quite cheap. And I'd been just, you know, thinking about playing it and just putting it off and just ignoring it. And then one day when I had a day off, I think I called in sick, was like, I know this is a game that I'll be able to bowl over in one day because I know it's not going to take very much time. I'm just going to go and play it. And wowee, did this game leave an impression on me. So What Remains of Edith Finch, developed by Giant Sparrow, published by Annapurna Interactive. Um, And this one is a first-person, it's a narrative-focused exploration adventure game, is how it's described. And you play as a 17-year-old Edith who returns to her ancestral home for the first time in seven years after her mum passes away. And she's the last surviving member of her family. And basically what the game is, is it's you re-exploring this house that you grew up in. And by going through the house and through all the different rooms, you end up reliving the circumstances of each of your family members' deaths. And so you're in quite a big family. So amongst... You know, aunties, uncles, grandmas, brothers and stuff. I think there was about 10 people in the family. And it has got to be one of the most unique and interesting and sort of 
gripping games that I've ever played. So with every room you relive their sibling or whoever it is who's their death and you play it through their eyes and each of them they're sort of like their own little chapters or levels are all very different so they got different art style or different way of storytelling um and yeah the house itself is like this really unique sort of like a home jobby where you know dad sort of added different rooms so it's not just a run a meal of the house it's like out on this island and it's all very spooky and it's very mysterious and all this sort of stuff and you find at some point that your mother sort of feels like there's a curse which sort of shadows the family, which is why all these horrible things are happening. And so when you're quite young, she starts like boarding off all the different rooms and you go back at 17 and you're basically uncovering all the stuff that she tried to hide from you growing up. And, I want to play this. Oh, it. As far this was one of those incredible gaming experiences, just an absolute moving experience. It was captivating and... Obviously, the subject matter is pretty heavy hitting, so it's you know it's heartbreaking at a lot of different points and times. Like it deals with a lot of stuff, suicide, mental illness, um, murder, and stuff like that. Um, and I think I finished it in like three hours. It's quite a short game, so you can play the whole thing in one one sitting. But three hours, I've never played anything like it. I just it was yeah unbelievable. And in twenty seventeen, I think it's got a Metacritic of about ninety. Um, 2017 Game Awards. It was it won Best Narrative, um, and it was nominated with for Games with Impact and Best Indie Games. So, wow. um, yeah, it's a fantastic experience and something that it's one of those games you sort of play through and you sit and you think about it, and it just really left an impression on me. And I know that at some point in time I'll sit on it and then I'll go back and play it again, um, just because it was just fantastic. So, yeah. What Remains of Edith Finch, fantastic game and just really unique and just, just again, highlighting how video games can really still great, great story and have great narrative and, yeah, fantastic, mm-hmm. amazing. Thanks, Ferg. C-Mac, what do you got yes, for us? Yes, yes, For your poor Tetris. Okay. <laughs> what, what Simon said. Nah. I, I wasn't here, so I don't know what he said, but Puyo so Puyo Tetris. Well, what what I was going to say, it, it just stands out as a game for me. It's such a basic... Well, obviously, you know, you got Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey. That's obviously good. But I don't know. Puyo Puyo Tetris, did you talk about playing it on the plane? I talked about playing it on holiday in Japan at a gaming bar. Talked about how it's basically like two friends who sit in the corner at a pub and you think, oh, they should get together. And then you like, I wonder what it would be like if they fucked. And then they do. That's <laughs> what? what I talked about. <laughs> so I like it because we, um, yeah, played on holiday. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Mental problems. Um, no, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I just enjoy playing with Simon, really. It's really fun because we're very good. We're probably at the same um, skill level, I would say, in the game. Yeah. So it makes it fun. So when you play with someone who's not, it's not fun. Um, Yeah. uh, Also, I saw the um, Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy Mm -hmm. came out in 2017. That was the best. Um, All my dreams come true when my favorite games get remade. So that was very good. Yeah, that's probably... I want to play this Edith game. I'm very keen to play this game yeah. now. should be on PS5. I think yeah. it's uh, part store. of the PS Plus collection, so if you've got that oh, subscription, man. you can... We uh, don't. Oh, well, then no, because stick it up many, your backside. subscriptions do I need to have? 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's out in everything, including the Switch, but mm. um, I played it on PC. <laughs> Simon be, might buy it on a Switch. I'll be encouraging everyone to play it on, yeah. Some, on Simon wouldn't even get Paw Patrol World on the Switch because he wanted it <laughs> be, he wanted to look better. Oh, so. I didn't want to put those poor kids through another half an hour loading screen to play fucking Paw Patrol. <laughs> when Bluey, a game that seemingly uh, is the graphical fidelity of a fucking potato chip, and it's it has a long time loading in that game. Mm. Fuck me, wouldn't happen. Six dollars twenty three on the PlayStation Store. Thank you, uh, C Mac, for that. Uh, my favorite game of twenty seventeen, just quickly, is Horizon Zero Dawn. So moving away from the Nintendo franchise, Horizon Zero Dawn is a first party uh, PlayStation title from game studio guerrilla games um they moved on to horizon zero dawn um after Killzone 3 and uh while they were in the process of doing the sequel to Killzone 3 which i think um i can't remember but it was like it was another Killzone game so they started working on that and once they finished the 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 next Killzone game then they basically focused the entire team's energy on this and it was seen as a very high risk game for that studio to uh, undertake but um they all uh, all the people at gorilla started pitching game ideas to uh, matthias de jong who was the director of horizon zero dawn and this particular game idea was the one that uh, grew legs and and the one that they decided to focus on and I think one of the really great things about Horizon Zero Dawn um, in particular, like they did such a great job of crafting an open world game for a, for a company that hadn't really made any open world games prior to that. And uh, the the narrative, the story that sits behind it is presented to the player in such an interesting way through uh, a mixture of of sort of cutscenes with with live action sort of stuff going on in the present day but then also like data pads and holograms and data points and things that you discover out in old ancient ruins that link back to what happened that basically brought about the end of the world so uh I won't go into any details about exactly what the story is for those of you who haven't played it, but it is an amazing open-world game. There is no doubt as to why Horizon is a first-party title and why Sony hold it in such high regard. And look, if you're a a PlayStation owner, put this on your must-play list because it really is an amazing game. And um, there is, of course, two sequels to it. There is Horizon Forbidden West, which came out on PS5. And uh, that was, what, two, three years ago? And there is also uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain, which is a exclusive title for PSVR 2 that was developed by Fire Sprite Studios in conjunction with uh, Guerrilla Games. And that game is an incredible game to showcase sort of the best of what the psvr2 has to offer so if you're fortunate enough to have one of those uh in your possession get call of the mountain because it is great 
It's a very beautiful game. <clears throat> and just for the listener at home, he might be scratching the head thinking, what was I playing in 2017? I was going to rattle off some of the games because, you know, Sealy would make a pretty good argument that 2017 is one of the best years we've ever had. So... Um, of the ones that we haven't already mentioned, we've got Resident Evil 7, Assassin's Creed Origins, Cuphead, mm. which, you know, looking at this list, there could have been half a dozen, <laughs> which Steely, I thought, could have potentially picked. We've got Cuphead, Neo Automata, uh, The Evil Within 2, Prey, Uncharted The Lost Legacy, one of the best titles in video games, South Park, The Fra- Fractured Butthole, Night in the Woods, uh, we had the original Hellblade game, Injustice 2, uh, we had Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which obviously was a launch game with the Switch. Yeah, if I understand correctly, it was a it was a re-release of it, of the game that had already come out in the Wii U, yeah. but um, it came out uh, on the Switch, so they've classed it as a launch title again. Launch title. We had to... <laughs> we did have some differences. It was mm-hmm. Deluxe. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Stacy had a new hat. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, Middle Earth, Shadow of War. We had Divinity, Original Sin 2, um, Neo, Xenoblades Chron- Chronicles 2, Total War, Warhammer 2, um, Life is Strange Before the Storm, another great narrative, Thimbleweed Park, Hollow Knight. We had Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. Um, yeah, Star Wars Battlefront 2, For Honor. Forza Motorsport 7, just to name a few. A lot of cracking games in 2017. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Discerning Gamer podcast for this week. I would like to thank the DG crew, starting with Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Thanks, JB. Always a pleasure, mate. And thank you, Simon Steely McLaughlin. Thanks, JB. Thanks for coming along the journey this week of me just perpetually shitting the bed. It was great. Okay, well, that's <laughs> my pleasure. And last but certainly not least, uh, Casey, C Mac, Pistol, Pete, The Pissed, McLaughlin. Those gun shots were on point tonight. That was that's as fast as I would shoot. Thank you. Thank you. I was here for some of the podcast. <laughs> and we will see you next week bye bye you know um, next week is a funny concept you know next week we'll probably know if Xbox is going to be blown up by then we'll also know whether or not um, whether or not the Nintendo Switch 2 is going to be getting announced in March because if if, if some of these leakers are correct and Pokemon Gold and Silver apparently Ferg still didn't tell me about what that was about Uh, but uh, there's a lot to know so stick in stay tuned come back next week we'd love to have ya